Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, August 11th edition of the Basement Academy. Our morning psalm stands, I think, as a helpful backdrop to our study, uh, Pastoral Reflection on Critical Race Theories. We start to go a little deeper. The psalm is, it, it kind of contains a little bit of a dialogue between the psalmist, the one who was offering the prayer, and it says, how then can you say to me, and then there's a, a section that's in quotations, and so the translators of the scriptures believe this is what is being said to the psalmist. And so let me read it, and then we'll try to unpack this and kind of offer this as a, as a morning prayer. This is for the director of music, a psalm of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, quote, Flee like a bird to your mountain. For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? End quote. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous but the wicked and those who love violence his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. So it might be helpful if you just read this in your own Bible that you can kind of catch this dialogue. I take refuge in the Lord. So how can you say to me, run for the hills, the sky is falling. There, there's, so what's in quotes has a little bit of chicken little quality to it. The wicked are bending their bows. They, they have their arrows against the strings. They're going to shoot at us from the shadows. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the psalmist is saying, how can you say this to me? I take refuge in the Lord. He's in his temple. He's on his throne. He sees everything. His eyes examine the righteous. His eyes, he sees the wicked. He's got everything taken care of. For the Lord loves justice and righteousness and equity and truth. And so... It's a great psalm because we there's something in us that is easily overwhelmed. There, there's something in the human spirit and human heart. We're easily scared. We're easily, you know, reading the headlines and going, "Oh no, all is lost." And so, and so as the current realities um, facing our society, COVID pandemic, um, some maybe economic challenge related to that, that, that some or many are feeling. But now critical race theories being taught to our children, and which is not to say these aren't concerns that we pay attention to, but, but we as people of faith, we as the covenant people of God, <laughs> we stay calm in the midst of the crisis. We talked about this in, in church on, on Sunday. We stay calm in the midst of crisis. And so as we 
start start our little deeper dive today into some of the foundations and background of critical race theory. And as we go deeper in these coming days and into next week and beyond, let's stay calm. We remember who the Lord is, where he's on his throne. We are his people. He is keeping us, which doesn't mean we won't face challenge, but we will persevere. Truth will win at the end. We know this. And so with Psalm 11 as a backdrop and a prayer, let me turn to a, a third reflection, a pastoral reflection on critical race theory. Now, we want to talk about some of the foundations and history and conceptual roots, if we could say it that way, of critical race theory. Now, I said yesterday that this is a framework. It is a conceptual model. There are many ways of thinking about the world, right? And so people, as I suggested, have kind of a Darwinian understanding or evolutionary understanding, and that prevails amongst many. And so that informs the way they think about the origins of the world, the origins of life, the human uh family, the human personality, ethics and morality, all of that. And so Buddhism has a different understanding than Christianity, uh, than, than does Islam, does those who are committed to scientific materialism. There is no God. They think it's, you know, all we have is, is, is uh, matter. Um, and so there are, a, there, there are a number of different frameworks or conceptual models that people have for understanding the world, okay? And so this is simply one of those. But every conceptual framework has a history. It has a lineage, as it were. So, for instance, Christianity, it is possible to be a Christian without ever having read the Old Testament, okay? Somebody could you know, be driving down the road in their car, have never gone to church. They, you know, turn the radio station. They hear somebody speaking a sermon. The Holy Spirit wins their heart and they say yes to Jesus. They don't know there is an Old Testament, New Testament. They don't know there's a Bible. They don't know any of that stuff. But if you're going to understand Christianity you will understand that there is something that comes before. There is an Old Testament. There are figures, Abraham and promises to Abraham, Moses and a covenant with Moses and uh, the, the Exodus and the burning bush and all of these Old Testament stories that we have come to know and treasure and love. They are part of the intellectual, conceptual framework that stands behind Christianity or the Christian faith and Christian theology. So we believe in a creator, the maker of heaven and earth. We believe in a God who manifests as father, son, spirit. We believe there is this God who enters into covenant relationships. We see it first with Abraham, maybe technically with Noah, and then Abraham, uh, and then Moses, and, and then David. We understand that God has spoken. God has delivered the law, Torah, to uh, Moses, and God speaks uh, through his prophets, and that there's a temple, and there's priests, and there's sacrifices, and atonement, and all of this rich 
framework that, that sits behind Jesus and his death on the cross. So again, go back to our theology series from last summer to where we talk about that, that the best way to understand the Bible is that it's just a tale of, of, of two stories, old covenant, new covenant, that covenant is what binds the scriptures together. So all of that is to say, as an example, Christianity has roots. It has a conceptual framework that sits behind it, to which then it, it, it points to Christ, and Jesus Christ then fulfills the law and prophets. He's the greater son of Abraham, the greater son of David. He is the new Moses. And so all of this uh, foreshadowing finds fulfillment in Jesus Christ. There's much to learn about Christianity and its roots and backgrounds in the Old Covenant. There's much to explain, so we don't, don't pretend that away. But there's nothing to hide. We hide nothing. And there are some problematic passages in the Old Covenant. And people like to say, well, what about this and what about that? Joshua going in and killing all those people. How can you, know, you say that God is a God of love? And so we patiently explain those um, foundational stories. Critical race theory is a conceptual model or framework for understanding the world, and it has roots. It has foundational, philosophical, intellectual, conceptual roots. It has a lineage, okay? In the same way Christianity has the Old Covenant and Old Testament sitting behind it, so critical race theory has something sitting behind it, and it is known as critical theory. So critical theory is the parent, as it were, and critical race theory is one of the children of critical theory. Okay, There are other children that critical theory has given birth to, but we're discussing critical race theory. So critical theory applied to race. So that's the way to kind of unpack even the name. We'll do some more on that in a couple days. So if we're to understand critical race theory, then you have to understand, let's go back to the backdrop. Okay, let's go to critical theory. And critical theory uh, derives from the Frankfurt School as it's known, which uh, was formed in the 1920s in Frankfurt, Germany. And um, a group of intellectual scholars came together. Uh, they were Marxist scholars, okay? Marx, I, I was telling myself his dates. He's somewhere like 1818 to 1884 uh, or 85, something like that. So, so Marx lived essentially in the 19th century, okay? And uh, German, but then he ended up teaching uh, in London. And many of you have heard of Karl Marx. You may have read some of his works, the Communist Manifesto, Das Kapital, uh, his, his great works. Um, I read Communist Manifesto years ago, uh, uh, Das Kapital, only by reference. But if, if you recall college, your college education, if you went to college and you took some econ classes or something, you would have encountered Karl Marx. He's, he's an economist, a, a kind of political theorist, um, 
some see him as maybe uh, standing behind, you know, uh, contemporary modern social sciences. He's talking about human behavior and and looking at society. And and he, along with uh, Frederick Engels, I think it is, um, I think is how you pronounce his name, um, believed that history moved in a dialectic pattern, a thesis and antithesis, which brought into conflict, which led to a synthesis, which then becomes the thesis to which an antithesis arises and a new synthesis, which becomes the thesis and the uh, antithesis and so on. This back and forth, this dialectic that human history is progressing in an inevitable pattern. And the key for understanding human history is this unfolding of economic organization, the, the tension within economic organization. So I, I printed off a simple little chart. There's a thousand of them, different ways that people try to explain that. Marx's theory of dialectical materialism okay and so you see in the ancient world the nobles and the slaves okay so the nobles were the thesis the slaves the antithesis to that there's conflict between them and you get the feudal system of organization between the lords and the serfs and then out of that comes industrial or capitalist society of the bourgeoisie and the proletariat and so in marx's day that's what was going on and he was seeing the um he was, he was sensing that this next thing to move beyond capitalism with its oppressive industrial, you know, you begin to start to have um, working conditions that are oppressing the poor and the working class. And so he was calling for a workers' revolution. Workers of the world rise up against the bourgeoisie who control the means of production, okay? Not intending to do a deep dive on, on, on Marxism, but... Marxism is just, it is not a swear word, okay? <laughs> to many today, particularly within the church, sadly say, oh, he's a Marxist. It's like, it's like you're calling him some name. It's, a, it's like a, 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 a slur or profanity. Marxism is simply a conceptual framework for understanding the world that is different than Christianity, Okay. Now people say, well, I'm a Christian Marxist. Uh, I think those are contradiction of terms and maybe we'll try to unpack that. And so, because <clears throat> Marxism uh, is materialist, it does not, there, though Marx actually was raised in a Christian home, parents were Jewish, converted to Christianity, but, but didn't maybe take with Karl, right? <laughs> um, and so Marxism is simply a theory of human history. It's a theory. Okay, it's a model. It's 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 an attempt at explaining. Here's how the world is unfolding and why it's unfolding the way it is. Christianity has a different model of history. We think God is active and that history is unfolding not about an economic class struggle between uh, feudal lords and serfs or um, uh, capitalist uh, owners and uh, the working class. We think. History is unfolding on a linear, <laughs> in a linear path directed by the sovereign God of the universe, and it's organized around the covenantal realities 
of an origin story of creation and then the fall of, of humanity. And we explain the human struggle, not in economic terms, but in spiritual theological terms of rebellion against this good creator and then a covenant relationship. And so so we see the primary identity or the struggle between the covenant community and the non-covenant community, the Jews and the Gentiles, and God trying to win the human family back to itself. And so we have an alternative history, theory of history, understanding of history, than does the Marxist uh, view, okay? Marxism is not a swear word. It is an intellectual framework. It's a conceptual framework or model. And we have to understand that. And so it looks for a workers' revolution that, that in the capitalist era, okay, we're ready now for the proletariat to rise up. Now, Marx died before the um, uh, communist revolution in Russia, Russian revolution in, in 1917, I think it was. And so <clears throat> the critical theorists, the Frankfurt School, are these Marxist intellectuals, Marxist scholars, um, many of them Jewish. They're in Fran they, they come together um, in Frankfurt, Germany, prior to something that becomes kind of challenging for Jews in Germany, right? And so this is in the early to mid-20s. They form the Institute of Social Research. And what they're trying to figure out is why hasn't this a communist revolution, we hear communism and we think, you know, communist Russia and all the, the oppressive stuff, they hadn't seen any of that. They're thinking of it in terms of liberating the human family from this these working conditions that, that, that are oppressive to where the people own the means of production and this classless society. And so we have to understand that the, the early Marxists were not devils. They're simply trying to understand human society. And they are committed to a framework that, that is not necessarily um, understanding the role of God, okay? They're seeing everything as part of these material forces of the means of production, etc. And so the, 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 the Frankfurt School is coming together to explain why hasn't it happened? Capitalism is so oppressive and it's so harmful and it's so demeaning to humans. Very few people have so much wealth and all these other people are struggling to eke out an existence and selling their labor to receive these wages while the owners are profiting from all of this labor. And so they're just coming together. And so critical theory is born in this context. It's born in the context of economic systems and struggles in the human family. They're observing that people are, as it were, enslaved, though not technically enslaved, but they are enslaved to certain working conditions. And so they're, they're coming together <laughs> and wondering, where's this revolution? And so over time, the critical theorists, they broaden Marxism away from just an economic struggle, the class struggle between the bourgeoisie and the, the proletariat, and they broaden it to a, 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 a larger understanding of the oppressors and the oppressed. And so critical theory 
has this Marxist root, this Marxist foundation, but it broadens out of the economic uh, sphere into the broader sphere. And there's this notion that the critical critical theorist, critical theory focuses on power and power dynamics. And they taught one of these uh, early uh, theorists, Antonio Gramsci, who was an Italian economist, he, he wrote of cultural hegemony. Hegemony is kind of a fancy word, but it just means um, kind of whoever has hegemony um, has the power, okay? So the idea is that in any human society, somebody is on top, okay? And that would be the hegemonic power, okay? And the idea that sits behind critical theory is that those who have the power will continue to stack the deck so that they will maintain power, so that they will develop legal systems and educational systems and economic systems and social structures of society so as to insulate themselves from the workers' revolution, from the revolution of the oppressed. Okay, and so critical theory goes a little beyond Marxism. It's 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 rooted in Marxism and this materialistic uh, philosophy of the dialectic and this this struggle that leads to uh, revolution and enlightenment and and freedom and liberation. It's really thinking that it, they're they're not devils. They're really trying to address at some level the liberation of the human spirit and the human family. I would offer, and so here's the pastoral reflection, I would offer that that's not all bad. Now, it's founded in some beliefs and some concepts that are not grounded in what I understand to be biblical truth, okay? But similarly, Buddhism tries, it, it observes the world and it sees uh, the suffering of the human family. And so it seeks through its concepts of enlightenment and whatnot, the Eightfold Path, it seeks liberation, okay? So Buddhism is simply observing the world. Marxism is simply observing the world. The critical theorists are observing the world. The critical race theorists are observing the world and, and they're observing that the human family is not yet fully free, that injustice continues to stalk the earth, suffering continues to stalk the earth and the human family. And so it offers, all of these different schools of thought are offering a remedy. Buddhism offers a, a remedy, kind of a, again, I'm not a, a Buddhist scholar, but as I understand it, it's kind of a, a withdrawal from in some ways, a withdrawal from the suffering of the world and understanding that it, it's kind of universal, but, but then we deny, there, there's aspects of denial in, in, in Buddhist thought through meditation and the like. Um, Marxism sees the remedy as a throwing off of the chains of economic oppression. The critical theorists broaden it out to any form of oppression, not just economic. And so critical race see, theorists see then oppression uh, centering around racial oppression, okay? But then there's critical queer theory, which has to do with uh, 
um, sexuality and gender oppression, okay? So you've got heteronormativity, those of us who think that heterosexual relationships between men and women is the norm and that's proper, that becomes seen as the oppressive uh, cultural hegemonic power that must be overthrown. And so the, the critical theory can be applied into sexual areas, okay? It, it, and so critical theory is the umbrella that sees this power struggle between oppressor and oppressed and that the oppressors are always trying to stack the deck for themselves, okay? Now, I think I'm going to stop here. It's kind of a lot to take in. But what I would say is, as Christians, we care about oppression, okay? So I don't want to swat everything away and say, oh, well, they're Marxist, which is, for a lot of people, like a swear word. No, Marxists are trying to understand the world. Buddhists are trying to understand the world. Christians are trying to understand the world. And so... Our scriptures guide us to a deep understanding of the impact of human oppression. We care about oppression. We want to see the liberation of the oppressed. We want to see um, the human family liberated. We want to see uh, justice and equity and righteousness. <laughs> the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. We care about these things too. So we have to be careful not to throw baby out with bathwater. That in kind of coming against Marxism, we have to not treat it as a swear word, but we have to treat it for what it is. An alternative framework for understanding humanity with its origins and history and dynamics, etc. We have a different understanding, okay? And so we think there is a remedy for the oppression and the injustice and the suffering of the world. And we believe that that remedy is found in Jesus Christ. That God cares about all of these things. And so he sent his son in human flesh to condemn sin in the flesh. The true causes of human suffering and injustice and oppression are not economic, they are spiritual. They are rooted in the individual rebellion against God and then the community's rebellion against God, okay? And so, so this is an opportunity. The critical race theory issue is an opportunity for us to bear witness. There is a remedy. God cares about these things too. But the remedy is not calling white people or straight people or males the oppressors. The remedy is actually found in recognizing there are universal qualities that, that we all share in and that the remedy is found in Christ. Now, getting a little ahead of myself because I want to talk more deeply, uh, uh, I think in the third week, we're going to try to have a Christian response. But all of this is to say there are intellectual roots to critical race theory. So you, your takeaway today is critical theory, the Frankfurt School, grounded in Marxism, which is not a swear word. It is just a framework, a conceptual framework for understanding the human family based around oppression, uh, power dynamics, and this assumption then that the oppressors stack the deck, okay? I, that may or may not be true. We'll, we'll take that on a little bit further tomorrow, okay? Let's close now. <laughs> I hope you did watch to the bitter end of this one. Uh, a little wonky, and I think I said that at the outset, that critical race theory is going to take us into a wonky place. 
but I think it's important. So let's close with prayer now. Um, again, um, Bitter Enders discussion on Wednesday afternoons at 3 p.m. If you'd like to join in this discussion, at least for these couple weeks, would invite you to send an email to me, dmeeks at greenwichprez.org. I will send you the Zoom link, and at 3 p.m., we go to about 4.15, and we'll uh, unpack some of this stuff a little further, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your love for us and for the human family and sending Jesus Christ. We remember, Jesus, your teaching (laughs) that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, but it shall not be so amongst your followers, that whoever would seek to be great would be the servant of all. And we thank you that you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. You offered the true remedy for what ails the human family. So help us to be wise in our thinking, mature in our character and responses to the challenges of our own day. May we not uh, yield and run in fear when Chicken Little cries out. May we be with the psalmist that the Lord is in his temple, the Lord is on his heavenly throne. And so to that end, we... um, We give our thanks and we offer our prayer gladly, joyfully as the children of God when you taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God who is on his heavenly throne even now bless you from there with his Holy Spirit, his hope, his joy, his peace and comfort now and forevermore. Amen.